are listening to Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Malone. I am a teacher candidate studying at the University of Ottawa, sharing my journey into education with the world. Enjoy this episode. All right, so good evening, everyone. Um, this is a really cool podcast episode for me uh, tonight because I am speaking with Zachary Bro, a current MED student at the University of Trent. Uh, Zach and I have grown up together since kindergarten. Honestly, that's why I'm I'm allowed to call him Zach. We're we're on that level. <laughs> um, when I was thinking about how back I go with Zach, I remembered how we were always kind of like competing in elementary school. Um, we were always neck and neck for grades, but he always did beat me in math. That is one thing. Um, and he was also very sporty, so a really um, successful basketball player um, in high school. And then he went to study at the University of Trent. So I will, without further ado, let Zachary continue to introduce himself. So good evening, Zach. Hi, Sarah. <laughs> um, yeah, so as you've gathered, my name is Zach. Um, and yeah, we go way back. Um, so far back. It's kind of incredible when you think about it. I know. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like she's... Uh, like Sarah had mentioned, math was always my thing. Literally from kindergarten, I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. So that's what I moved to it Trent to do. It just clicked. That's yeah. why I went to Trent, did my undergraduate there in math and psychology. And from that point, so I graduated a year and a half ago now. Oh, God. Oh, Time my flies. gosh. Time flies. Did you do a four-year or three-year degree? A four-year degree, four-year honors. Um, and now I'm working on my master's of education. And I went into it, I guess, with the math, math mind, trying to look at right. math education and all of its flaws with all of them, because there's so many of them. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but then things took a turn, and I started doing research on LGBTQ mental health. So. And this is where I took a turn, because I didn't even know this. So you didn't even know that. I'm everyone, everyone listening, and myself... We are exploring and we are getting to know what all of this kind of entails. So do you mind just talking to us about, I, I don't know, your, your journey into your, into your master's? Yeah, totally. Um, so I took a course, I think it was like my third or fourth course in my master's. And it was a gender and sexuality course in educational settings. And I just took it because I'm like, this could be fun. I could learn so many cool things from here. Everything's super mm-hmm. applicable. Um, and I, like, I fell in love with the professor, Carlene, I don't know how to say her last name, Pendleton Jimenez. Amazing professor. Uh, anybody could look her up. Um, and she just opened my eyes to everything that is wrong within all the discriminations, I guess, that happen within the LGBTQ community and how there is such a rise in mental health problems among those specific students. So I figured being a member of the community myself, why not dive into the research and see what I could find? And I just got caught up in it and math got left on the back door. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, you found a new passion. I found a new passion. And as I was telling Sarah before the podcast here, um, I have a book partially written about math education, which I will finish someday, um, but not at the moment. (laughs) 
Um, so a big thing in my research right now is how to better educate teachers to be properly equipped when going into schools to have those meaningful conversations with students within the community, how to have taboo conversations, and just overall decrease their anxieties and any fears they may have because many educators may not realize it, but that's one of the biggest perpetuating factors to why there is such a rise in mental health among LGBTQ students. Wow. So is that yeah. what your book is about? Let us know. Give us the deets. Oh, no. The book is about math education. <laughs> um, and uh, also, again, working on how to properly ensure that teacher candidates are well prepared to go into elementary schools and teach math. Because, like, as many of you may know, math anxiety is a real thing. And yeah, going I live <laughs> as a teacher and as a, you know, a past student. Yeah, and going into elementary school, elementary school teaching especially, a lot of teachers end up having to teach math and not necessarily wanting to, or they don't necessarily feel comfortable doing it. So their fears tend to get passed on to students. Um, so I'm working with Kathy Bruce at my university to kind of come up with ideas of how to better prepare teachers in that sense. Um, but as I said, that's been put on the side burner now for quite some months as I've been yeah. working on this new, this new development in uh, LGBTQ mental health. Okay, wow. So, so many exciting things. My brain is, is buzzing with like questions and I, I just, I, I want to know all about it. So I'm just wondering where to start. So do you want to start math? Because I do have some questions for you as a teacher candidate. Totally. Going in to possibly teach math and being that teacher candidate who does have those anxieties, having to teach math because uh, all I've taken is a how to teach it, um, like how to teach math in elementary school 101, basically. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I learned a lot. <laughs> so I still got to teach math in elementary and I don't feel properly equipped. So what could you tell a very nervous teacher candidate like me who say, who let's just say next year I get a grade four math, uh, like a grade four class and I have to teach math. What are some things that like some tips and tricks for any other teacher candidates that may feel the same way as yeah. I do? Honestly, I think the biggest thing going in is like you've made it through elementary school. Maybe you struggled a little bit in math, but now like you're a teacher now and students are looking up to you. But at the same point in time, the classroom environment is not only an environment for students to learn in, it's also an environment where teachers can learn in. So mm -hmm. I love that. Learn with the students. Just go in, don't go in being scared. Going in, seeing every day as a new day and an opportunity to grow, to grow personally, but also allow your students to grow. Because um, that's the biggest thing. The biggest thing with math anxiety is it is a mindset that's been drilled. It's been drilled into our heads. Like you're not good at math, so you're scared of math. <laughs> um, you oh, don't yeah. quite understand math, so you're scared of math. Um, okay, so then we'll flip it. Yeah. Let's talk about what do I say to those students who I have in front of me, whether they're grade four, grade seven, or grade nine 
who are in my math class and who say and tell me, well, I've just never been good at math. I don't get it. That's just the way it is. I'll never be good. What do I tell them? If someone tells you, I'm just not good at math, that's, oh, I probably shouldn't say bad words. Um, If someone tells you, (laughs) (laughs) if someone tells you they're not good at math and they've just never got it, it's because they've never had the proper teacher. They've never had the experience to see math as a way of problem solving and a way of critically thinking. And I think that's something that's wrong with the education system is it's so focused on formulas and numbers, whereas math really is a mindset. It's about problem solving. It's about being able to grab onto things and manipulate it and to foster creativity. And if teachers can form their classrooms if teachers could form their education strategies around that, then I don't think students would come up with such a problem. Um, unfortunately, students are going to come with that problem and say, I'm scared of math, I'm not good at it, and just not try. And I think as the educator, it's just your job even to be honest with them. Maybe you're scared of math. Um, yeah. Let them be know, vulnerable with them. Be vulnerable. Let them know you've had anxieties with it. And like I mentioned earlier, make it become an opportunity for the two of you to learn together and grow together because those meaningful relationships between student and teacher are just so invaluable. (laughs) Yeah, I completely, like, I love that. I I need to re-listen to what you just said and write it all down (laughs) and hand it to all of the other, my friends who are teacher candidates as well, who are going into, you know, a classroom in a couple of years and may face these same anxieties. And I also think that another thing that I've really kind of latched onto in this whole um, teaching anything really is the growth mindset of I'm, I'm not good at math. Well, maybe you're not good at math yet, you know, yeah. yet is that keyword. Let's try, let's try something different. Let's work at it together, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Give them a different perspective that, of math. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, now I can see why you're writing uh, a book a- about it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it really is one of my passions. And like I said, I just got sidetracked on something else, but I've mm-hmm. loved math forever. And it, it pains me when I see people just say, I'm not good at math. I don't like math. And I think it's just, they've never been provided with the opportunity to enjoy it. Absolutely. And another question too, I was wondering is, the math that we did when we were in elementary school and the math that we're now teaching the students, the the curriculum might have changed slightly. We might be still trying to teach the same concepts in the same grades, but math in the 21st century is is totally different because yes. you have so much more, so many more tools um, and students, you know, have calculators on their phones and they can just, you know, look up the formulas how do you go about teaching math in the 21st century? Um, I think technology is amazing. Uh, we live in the 21st mm-hmm. century. I think we should 100% be using it within the classroom. Um, there comes a certain point, I think, in elementary school, like learning your additions, subtractions, multiplications, divisions. I personally believe that those things should be memorized um, mm-hmm. just so they're easy for you to come upon. But beyond that, a student's always going to have a phone with them no matter where they go or a computer or a tablet. So why not let them use calculators? Why not let them use technology to do the hard math for them? 
And that's a lot of what I'm talking about of math being a mindset. It should be about problem solving and critically thinking how to come upon the right answer. And if they know how to get there, then they just have to put it into the technology and the technology will tell them how to do it. Um, there's differing views on this, <laughs> of course. Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely think math should be focused more around problem solving and critical thinking instead of just crunching numbers because technology could do that for you. So why should we? Mm -hmm. So do you think that the teachers, and you know, you might not know the answer to this, but in your opinion, are teachers changing with the times in math or are they sticking with, um, you know, we're just learning everything by heart. You're not allowed to use technology. You're writing this test, just paper, pencil, you know, you have use of a calculator if you need it, but that's it. Yeah. Um, and I haven't spent much time in the classroom setting itself, unfortunately, um, being a master's candidate, though I do work with many teachers in the system. Okay. Um, and from what I'm noticing, a lot of teachers who have been in the system for a long time do tend to stick to what they know and to how they've been taught. So it really is this new generation of teachers going out that bring new ideas and try to utilize them within the classroom and who will be more comfortable using technology. Mm -hmm. um, but there are definitely teachers who have been yeah. out in the field in the wild, who have been out in the field for a while, who are definitely willing to change and have made efforts to increase technology in their classrooms and change perspectives instead of just fully throwing in memorization at students. Right. And I guess it's also, um, as a teacher, getting that professional development whether it's from um, somebody who is coming to support you, like from your school board, um, and showing you how to support students with technology in math. Because, you know, it's not second nature for me to know what manipulatives or what app on my iPad or what so-and-so online to use for my geometry course for yeah. my students. So it's really educating the educators on here's how you can incorporate really useful tools in the classroom to help your students. Absolutely. And I think uh, the Ontario Teachers College Association should be capitalizing on the new two-year program and bringing in things like that right into college mm -hmm. um, so teachers don't have to worry about that once they get out into the field. Yeah, like we're in the digital age, right? Yeah. What You can't expect anything less. All the tools and resources are there. I, I really strongly believe it. They get better and better every day. There's new ones constantly coming out and being um, innovative. And it's just to go out and look for them. You know that they exist. How can you utilize them best in your classroom? Yeah. Right? Um, going back, taking a couple steps back, when you were talking about... Um, memorizing multiplications and students just being naturally good at math. Sometimes the students, well, when I was in my placement, I kind of lived this anxiety, a little, little fear. Yeah. Um, I, we were doing um, like multiplication bingo. So I would take out, you know, Oh, 73. And I would have to come up with a multiplication or, a multiplication and an addition that added to 073 so that they would know that I had picked out 073, right? And I had a tough time coming up with 
you know, okay, finding a, a multiplication that's, okay, nothing equals to 73. Okay, so I'll do 7 times 10 plus 3. Okay, 73. They got it. So then, you know, mine were, were pretty easy. I was I was going back to a lot of the multiplications by 10 and then just adding the number because, <laughs> you know, th that's just where I was at. I hadn't really been freshened up on my multiplications in a while. Totally. So then I got a student. Um, he was He's awesome. You know, he's my math student. I'm like, okay, your turn. What he was coming up with was incredible. And he was, te like, he was coming up with these crazy, like, he was multiplying getting two multiplications and doing an addition with a subtraction. And I'm like, why aren't you the teacher? You know, like he, he was so much more, um, I'll use the word in French, like habile in, yeah. in thinking quick on his feet than I was. And I felt kind of undermined by him and not that I should have, but it was just, you know, how the cards fell. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that just doesn't help with like, the whole math anxiety, you know, like that didn't make me feel good about myself when teaching math in that, in that setting. Yeah, it doesn't. And unfortunately that's things that are going to happen in teaching. Um, mm -hmm. Math is one of those subjects that you're going to have a select handful of people that it just, it just clicks for them. Um, I was always one of those people, to be honest. Um, but I think those are students that you could use that you could utilize to help teach the classroom. Like, that's always gonna happen, right? You're always gonna have someone in the classroom who's really good at math. Like, there's a select few people that it just clicks for them. Through relationships and community, I think, is a strong way to build learning and education. And mm -hmm. I think if you're finding stronger students and helping them, helping them by allowing them to work with other students and teach other students, you're allowing those students in the class who may not be quite advanced to learn and advance all yeah. while letting the students at the top of the classroom teach what they know and advance themselves by teaching. If that makes sense. And then I, I'll play the applause. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get like a sound clip and I'll put some applause because that was amazing. Well, thank you. Because you know what? The next time that that happens, I know how to go about it. Because on the spot, I was too almost self-conscious of, you know, my own, um, like, vulnerabilities and, yeah. you know, being so self-conscious that, you know, that wasn't the first thing that came to mind. Um, but next time, you know, like you said, I guess it happens to everyone. And, and that is totally, mm -hmm. totally cool. And I'm all about learning with the students. And I look forward to... Um, you know what, maybe one day I will just love to teach math. I and hope so. I, I really look forward to that day. Yeah. I just don't think I've been given enough opportunities to explore and maybe realize that, hey, you know, maybe I should use growth mindset more on myself. Like, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at teaching math yet. Bam. Yet. Mic drop. There you go. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, it's honestly like, yeah, don't let those moments get to your head. Just find ways to take advantage of them and you're becoming a true leader in the classroom when you can branch off and utilize students in those kind of manners. So it's a nice way of teaching. That's great. <laughs> Very cool. So being a leader in the classroom, let's talk about um, the new direction that you're taking your research in. So the, um, the mental health in the LGBTQ community, how can teachers be leaders in the classroom? Um, 
first, uh, teachers definitely have to be educated on the topic. There's tons of literature out there, so many resources online that they can find. Because one of the biggest things that I've found throughout my research is teachers avoid having taboo conversations with their students. They avoid talking about LGBTQ relations, LGBTQ mental health problems, or anything within that community. Um, maybe in fear that they're going to say there's something wrong. Um, maybe because they just don't feel comfortable, so they don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. In the one-off case, which I really hope it isn't the case, um, the teacher's just totally against it. Um, not in... We hope not. We hope right? not. And not in the works that I've seen. I haven't seen anybody like that. But I think a big thing is just lack of comfortability. So if students are not students, if teachers are able to do a bit of research on it and then have those conversations, have those conversations with students. There's no point. Um, not there's no point. That was a weird thing. Have those conversations with students because they're meaningful to them. Um, if you want to back into like early elementary school, like pre-K, kindergarten, grade one, I yeah. think a big strategy for teachers is to remove gender binaries and norms within the classrooms. Um, there's no need to segregate people by gender anymore. <laughs> there really yeah. isn't. Um, that's very harmful for anyone who doesn't fit within them. And then just removing any binaries or norms so students feel comfortable so that they could grow as individuals. They could ask you questions and they don't have to fear about being themselves, being ostracized as the other in the classroom. Um, so it really is just about creating an inclusive environment within your classroom so that students can feel safe. Um, because safety really is at the bottom of all the hierarchy of needs. And if you don't have that basic feel of safety, then you're going to have a hard time rising up to rising up and reaching your true potential, I guess. Of course. And I guess that whole safety and not feeling safe or welcomed or feeling excluded and being that, that singled out one affects their mental health, right? That is, that is the whole basis of, of what you're looking into, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and it's, so what has research shown? Like what have, what are your findings? What are my findings? Um, right now, I'm looking at ways like I'm looking at ways for teachers to better create a learning environment and I'm trying to advocate actually for the creation of that environment and for the proper education of teachers because I find too often there's just it's token courses being put out like let's talk about the LGBTQ community in this series of three seminars that's all you're going to get and I feel like it just gives it that token education that isn't really right. valuable, maybe pushed aside. And I think teachers do have to sit down um, and look at the inequalities, research, like research everything that has happened within the LGBTQ community and just not be scared of it. Talk about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, do you think that, you know, those seminars that you were just kind of talking about, isn't it though a, a step in the right direction? I know that they may be token, but that might be the first step in one teacher going to look into more details and wanting to be 
less binary and grow as an educator in that sense? Oh, absolutely. Like they are a great start, but I think like things are starting to plateau and I think it has to be pushed beyond those token seminars, those one-off lectures um, and really have some kind of course about it or just not fear having those conversations in teacher college, not fear having those conversations within teachers in the teacher's lounge at school. Um, because the more comfortable you are in discussing it, the more comfortable you'll be in removing those binaries and norms within your classroom so that students just really can be whoever they want to be without ever feeling the need of not, without ever feeling that they don't fit in. Right. Okay. So for anyone who's listening, who are, who are maybe wondering if they create binaries, what would be some of the binaries that we may do without, as educators, without even thinking twice about it? Yeah. Um, using he's and she's, everyone does mm -hmm. it. Um, it's second nature. You're grown up to point out differences, things that happen in the classroom when you make boys do one activities, girls do another activity where you try to pair up groups having at least a boy and a girl in the groups. A lot of those, though they may seem harmless, um, once again, if someone within the community doesn't necessarily feel as though they fit with, between the binaries and you're identifying them with one of the binaries, that could be very detrimental to them. Mm -hmm. um, and where, do you, where does an educator go from there when, when they have um I'm just trying to put myself in the situation you know I hasn't um I haven't been in a classroom much where I've actually even thought about it and that's the problem you know yeah. I not that I'm the problem but people like me who don't think about it twice before saying certain things can be like you said detrimental to a certain student's you know well-being and individuality and that's something that we definitely need to um, educate ourselves on. And what do you think that a teacher candidate like me can do or the teacher candidate, like as an individual or my faculty or a school board, what can we do to help? Yeah. Um, like first thing, I think individually teachers have to think about how they align themselves with the binaries and how they use them in their daily conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And from that point, I think the biggest thing, honestly, is educating yourself about the community and talking about it, bringing it into your speech, using it through examples. Um, and I think it was Butler who had once said that language itself defines what we believe gender to be just as well as what we can recognize and imagine from it. Um, and I think that really stood out to me just like how important language is um, and if you're using examples within the LGBTQ community or being able to engage in conversation with students about the LGBTQ community uh, it's just it'll change that mindset I think and slowly but surely um, discrimination will minimize yeah. itself Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Exactly. Is, it, is that the saying? Okay. That is the saying. <laughs> but it really counts and depends on people like you who are passionate and who relate so closely to this community and that need to come and get like educate us because yeah. 
you know, I can't say that I, I've been given any information on the topic from my faculty. So I need to go and do my own professional development um, and personal growth on the topic so that when I do, um, you know, have a classroom to myself that I don't be a detriment to any of the students in my class, like what would be, you know, you're saying to not use he or she's, what are some of the language? Cause you know, you were, we were just talking about how language is so important. What are some of the, the words or the language, like languages, English would be a good language, but (laughs) you know, like what are some words? Kids have names. Like there we go. Use the kid's name. It's so easy. Um, Mm -hmm. When you're calling your group, just like call for the classroom. Don't call for a specific person. Um, Hopefully as an educator, you know, who's like, who's, um, Hopefully you know the students in your classroom and within your school. So if little Sammy comes up to you and says, such and such was picking on me in the schoolyard, that way you're, you're able to refer to that person by name instead of saying, oh yeah, I'll make sure I talk to her. Remove the her. Mm-hmm. Put the name in. Um, That's such a simple way. Yeah. And it's I so- think a big, a big thing within all of this research um, there are definitely people who aren't necessarily for queer pedagogy, but queer pedagogy, like, it's not about having a hidden ad- agenda or teaching queer families and gay practices. It's just allowing children to question, explore, and confront traditional norms um, by giving children the freedom Say to... Say that manip- again? That was question or... Yeah, question, explore, and confront traditional norms. Wow, we should make a poster. Yeah. Is that somewhere we can? No, that's actually written in one of my papers. (laughs) (laughs) It's a non published paper, so feel free to steal all you want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not yet, you know. I'll let you (laughs) publish it. I'll give you all the credit. Yeah. Wow. Um, But honestly, just by giving children the freedom to manipulate and develop their own gender and sexual identities, um, we're not imposing the norms that are harmful to those that don't fit in with that don't fit within them. So Mm-hmm. I think it's a big thing, just being open, not aligning your li- not aligning your language with the binaries, then have being educated on the community. And you're itself. talking, mm-hmm. um, you're talking before too about having the meaningful conversations and the taboo conversations. Explain to me, talk to me a little bit about what you mean by taboo conversations. Yeah, so some people might think talking about sex in public is a taboo conversation. Or talking about religion at the dinner table is a taboo conversation. It's just those traditional conversations that don't fit nicely in the box and shouldn't be talked about because it may bring up questions and take you down a dark alley. I think teachers should embark on those conversations. If a student if there's a male student in the class who's having gender identity issues, have that conversation with the student. Talk about it. Why do they feel like they don't, why do they feel like they don't belong in their body? Um, I, I don't see no harm within talking about it. I know education policy itself, they want you to be 
careful with what you're saying, not to say anything wrong to the student that could lead you down the rabbit hole. But mm -hmm. those conversations are the meaningful conversations for the students. And that's what they're going to remember. And that's the support they're going to get to need to be successful and to be who they are without feeling judged. Does that make any sense? Because they, yes, I, I like that. And it also got me thinking that maybe they are trying to reach out to you because they don't have that support at home. Maybe you are that one person that they need to have that meaningful conversation with. Absolutely. So I think mm -hmm. teachers, like, they shouldn't be scared about having those conversations with students. And yeah, it may be uncomfortable. Um, yeah, you may not feel like you're completely educated about it. But at least you're there as an outlet and you're not someone who's going to be judging the student, hopefully. Of course not. And, you know, if you think that you're not educated enough to have those conversations with a student and be meaningful and be open to their um, their questions and them revealing, you know, their their worries to you. Well, why not as an, as an educator go and educate yourself? Because I'm thinking about it right now. What if I, you know, I have a meaning, I need to have a meaningful conversation or, you know, with um, one of my students, I want to be comfortable enough to be that outlet and support yeah. them day in and day out. If they want to come talk to me at every recess after school, I want to be there. And I want to know what to say, how to say it. And I would really love to know more about it, whether it be just starting with a seminar and then knowing down what paths I need to kind of explore to be more, um, just to open my eyes to the subject. Um, yeah. And just to be, you know, I, I'm so open to the LGBTQ community. I'm just not educated enough. Yeah. And yeah. it's something that I'm actually really excited to learn about and that you've kind of just opened this door tonight on that topic because it's maybe not something that's talked about enough in the mm -hmm. faculty of education. Oh, I love hearing that. That's so beautiful. Yeah, um, I and I think, I know, and like you're looking out and wanting to educate yourself and like ask questions even. You probably have friends, faculty within your school board, within your social circle who, circle, who identify mm -hmm. within the community and are educated. But at the same point in time, I think it's a good warning to throw out to people. Um, don't always turn the question on to the faculty member that identifies within the LGBTQ community. Don't always send your student towards that faculty member and don't pick out those students within the classroom because then again, you go back to tokenizing it. Um, yeah. So I think it is important that people feel the need to educate themselves and are willing to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. As an educator who wouldn't be comfortable about it, it would be such an easy scapegoat to just go direct them to somebody else, right? Oh, and you know, it happens but that, all that, the time. <laughs> yeah, but that's not helping you grow as a person, as an educator, as a mentor, as anything. You're just kind of copping out. <laughs> yeah. On top of that, though, it shows your students that it's okay. Like, if you don't feel comfortable within the community, it's okay to push it aside. That's exactly what you're doing as an educator when you're constantly bringing someone from the community to solve the problems for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Talk about my mind is buzzing. I'm like writing down so many things. You should see my, my list here beside me. Oh, yeah, I rambled um, a little bit. I'm so sorry for that. <laughs> no, 
I honestly and truly deeply believe that everyone who will be listening to this podcast, because of your passion and your research and all of the very insightful things that you have said tonight, will be educating themselves and doing a little bit more research and thinking twice before, um, you know, being binary in their classroom. I don't even know if you can be binary, but just thinking about removing the binaries in their classroom because I know that I will. And so if you can at least change the mind or, you know, entice and motivate one educator to go and explore, I think that you will definitely have a very big impact on the whole education field. And I was just wondering, like, what are your future, what are your future, your future goals in this? I honestly, I don't even know where my future goals lie. Um, Mm -hmm. Right now, as we were talking before the podcast, I'm working as an enrollment advisor at the university, but I'm also looking into doing some course instructing at the school um, for math math education specifically within the teacher education program. Um, And I was also looking at, um, I wish I knew what the acronym stood for, but EGAL in Peterborough, and then working with the Peterborough AIDS, Peterborough AIDS Resource Network, I believe it's called PARN, um, and doing just some volunteer work to help promote the community and maybe get myself in a situation where I can run workshops for local schools here. Wow. But you know so well how to give your time to the world. <laughs> all <laughs> like, up in the air. You, Zach. <laughs> I'm tangled in a knot now where I'm working full time and about to hit the road and travel Ontario recruiting students to university all while trying to finish up my master's and have a social life and write a book. So... There you go. It's, the uh, life of a university student. It's ongoing. But I love it. I, and yeah. I love what I do. And that's why I continue to do it, even though it may result in some sleepless nights. It's well, worth it in the end. There you go. You know what? I, I will just end on this. Like, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud to be your friend. I cannot even wait to see what the next five, ten years looks like for you. Um, and I really hope that you'll be willing to um, be a guest on my podcast in the in the future. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, it's a pleasure, actually. I was honored when you reached out to me the other day asking me to do this. Um, I, rarely, <laughs> I rarely sit back to think about what I'm actually doing, and I'm so caught up in the motions day in, day, day, in, day out, just doing it because I love it. So mm-hmm. just having you reach out to me really just put emphasis on the fact that what I'm doing really does matter in the world. Yeah, and I think it's really important to just sit back, talk about it, and have the time to reflect. And it kind of allows you to take that step back and kind of do a double take like, wow, you know, I, I can make a difference. Absolutely. Totally. Well, thank you so much, Zach. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Que Sera Sera with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. You can stay connected with me on Twitter at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lalonde, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also find my podcast on iTunes under Kesara Sarah.